Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. Welcome everyone, namaste. One of my favorite aspects of living in the ashram and, and being taught by the ashram about so many things is the idea that we arrive early and we chant and we prepare for something truly remarkable to occur because when you have um, a goal of an inner connection um, the sky's the limit for the experience you know that can sort of rain down on you at any moment they say that grace uh, always works spontaneously and it goes in a flash. And so our work, as yogis will see tonight, has a lot to do with preparing to receive it. And so for example, just doing the Ganesh Mantra and being like preparing for class internally. Babaji always gets places super early and he just prepares to receive. It's pretty amazing. And so tonight we'll, we'll look at that concept through the lens of the sutras, through Babaji's words, um, and we even have a little Paul Reps moment. So it's going to be pretty fun. So before we um, move into the specifics of the sutra, um, I wanted to take a moment to look back at our last week together. Uh, we were exploring this sutra, Yatta Tatra, Tatan Yatra. Go ahead and give it a shot. It's a tongue twister in a good way. Yatta Tatra, Tatan Yatra. Yatta Tatra, Tatan Yatra. Have fun with it on your own. Yatta Tatra, Tatan Yatra. It's really got a ring to it. If you write this one on your fridge for the week, you know, you'll really enjoy that. <laughs> um, Yatta Tatra, Tatan Yatra. As it is on the inside, it is on the outside for the realized yogi. Um, and so our initial uh, approach to the sutra was really the emphasis on this concept of akritta in Sanskrit, unartificialness, which could also be translated as like absolute sincerity. Uh, we approach that through the classic practice that Rudy gave to us of like the wish to grow. Um, and uh, as, as one means uh, to generating that. But as we saw uh, via the Marco Polos for the week, that was not the only way this bubbled up for people in their practice. So I've got a couple of highlights from the Marco Polos. Um, they're a little bit longer than usual, but there's only like four of them. So it's probably about the same. Um, they were sort of like little stories if you didn't get a chance to watch them. Each one was like sort of a story. So um, I'm just going to read through it quickly but I think you should en enjoy it for the story aspect so Annapurna in Chicago 
um, was saying, I had this realization that sometimes, oh, let me put this on the screen for the people here. A lot of little screens I'm navigating. I had this realization that when I'm, that when I practice, I'm only putting on the costume of my practice sometimes, and that my practice is not always real. At these times, I ask myself, how do I make this real? I was excited to find out that that was the topic of this week's study buddy. She continues, the wish to grow practice is obviously amazing, but often gets filled with doership for me. I remember a few weeks ago when Ture said how merging with Shiva meant just being with the kale. I don't know if you guys remember that. That was a pretty fun Marco Polo that Ture left. Just being with the kale is mer how she merged with Shiva. And Annapurna said, the simplicity of what Ture said kept echoing in my mind. The simplicity of it, as well as how little I actually do that. And I found as I try to be really simple and just, for example, be with my kids, like the kale, um, it's so much more fun and they can really tell the difference. She said, it's challenging to drop the to-do list. We have a lot going on in our life right now, but when I do it, it's just so much better. So approaching the wish to grow from the simplest possible angle, which is just drop everything and be present. Uh, and the realization that life is better and your kids are this litmus test or whatever relationship you find yourself in. So thanks, Annapurna. Savananda in Chicago. She says, I got to say that the wish to grow practice, one sec. I've got to say that the wish to grow practice is my favorite practice and has been since I went to Konalani in 2010 for my yoga teacher training. Satyam had all of us on two sides of the room. I was laughing when I heard this because I can't believe I did this. But um, <laughs> anyway, he said she had all, I had all of them on two sides of the room reaching for each other as much as they could while saying, I deeply wish to grow. I could feel there was always the possibility of reaching one centimeter more to make contact. Then we did the wish to grow silently and in meditation to bring the practice inside. Now, every time I reach in yoga class, I silently say, I deeply wish to grow. She said, I know that's not exactly what we're discussing right now, but it's, but it's because it's tied to such a beautiful moment that my heart opens so much whenever I say it. And that could have been the end of her statement, but it wasn't because she did tie it in. She said, when I watched the recording in the study buddy class at home this week, something interesting occurred. When we started doing the wish to grow practice out loud, it was working, but when we did it silently, something magic happened. I finally felt the energy of I deeply wish to grow. And that is what got me to the next level. I'm an overachiever. Sometimes I feel like I'm not connecting enough, but I found that it was the will of the wish to grow that saved me. Just being willing to grow, feeling myself reach that extra centimeter. You can try it yourself right now. Just in the next breath that you take, just feel that, that little stretch, right? That's in the breath. Not necessarily physical, but it's the stretch of just wanting to absorb a little deeper, or open a little bit more. So thank you, Savananda, for sharing that with us. I'll make, I'll make this one a little quicker dharma hey dharma <laughs> it's 
funny, last class I was like, where's Dharma? Ends up, that was his story. Um, he said, I usually attend class online, but this week I got turned around with my schedule and Henry had a long, arduous bedtime. And when I came downstairs, I realized I missed class. And I was really upset. He said, I really wanted to be there. I felt, I felt uh, a longing. The class was almost over by that time though. So I just sat down and started meditating to at least connect with where we were all at. And he went on to say, my mind was really active because it was because I was so upset and I could feel this fervent longing inside. And I started doing the wish to grow practice and things started to shift. And then he stopped. He said, I'm getting really worked up right now talking about it because it was such a breakthrough moment for me, which is one of my favorite parts about Marco Polo is just we're really getting to experience each other's practice. And he continues the next morning. I immediately checked out the podcast and what do you know? that the exact topic of the class, the class that I was so upset to have missed, was the very practice, was about the very practice that helped me surrender being upset that I missed class, the wish to grow. Uh, there's a lot of typos in here, I apologize, but I'm reading it. <laughs> the wish to grow, uh, for me, uh, is a longing and desire in my heart that I felt in the moment of missing class. It was real. And I took a breath in and felt this wish to grow in my heart and I could hold on to it in that moment. So it was a really special moment for me, a really special class. I think he really brings up the point that sometimes when you're really experiencing something strong, the only thing that you can hold on to is your wish to grow. On the one hand, it's this elusive concept that we have to work to connect to but when you're really going through something, it's like the only thing that's not spinning around like a tornado, right? So that was, that was nice that Dharma sort of brought that to the service for us. And last but not least, um, this was just from yesterday from Tashi. He said, when I'm working really hard physically and spiritually at the same time to focus and stay present, it takes a lot. It feels like being at the end of a marathon, saying to yourself, one more step, one more step, you're not gonna fall over now. That for me is very valuable. That state of being at the crux of the climb, at the crux of the hike. That's when I grow, <laughs> typo says, as a mouse. Uh, that's not what he said, but that's when I grow the most. <laughs> that is where my wish to grow as is most valuable and everything is at its height of intensity because at that point I can see through my tendency to point the finger and say it's their fault and instead to take responsibility for my own state of being. So it's a, another interesting aspect of this practice that sometimes the only way to find it or its most essential interaction with us is when we're being stretched our thinnest. It's interesting that like that's when we need it the most, that's when we use it the best, and that's when we connect with it the most. So a lot, I, well, I feel like everybody just really brought this concept uh, to a much more fruitful level they you know we really used it and like let it blossom in a lot of natural ways and uh so thanks everyone for your work last week and for the opportunity to share that and 
sorry about the typos, but <laughs> I think Gru as a mouse is awesome. All right, so uh, we're going to pause for a moment, uh, reconnect with our breath and with the subtleties of our body uh, through a little bit of movement, and then we'll jump into the new material. Hmm. Hi, everybody. Um, now that Satyam does these quotes, first it's so interesting because originally for me at least the movement kind of brought me right into the class and right into the space and now I'm like oh, I'm already here <laughs> what do we do now um, and I'm just really experiencing my heart opening um, from hearing those stories and being so inspired by Sangha um, and so maybe you're feeling that too I just want to invite you to close the eyes if it feels comfortable for you and Bring your focus to your heart and just notice what those stories of growth did for you. Do you feel any sense of longing or greater sincerity in your practice in this moment? If you do, breathe into that ever so gently and let it expand. And if you don't, let go of any sense of judgment and just see if you can direct the breath towards the heart and allow the, the breath to sink you up with this deeper place inside that is longing to grow whether we can feel it or not. And just take a few deep breaths to allow that sensation at the heart to expand. And I'm feeling the sense of like, oh, I don't want to move. I just want to be <laughs> in my heart. But it could be a really good experience or experiment because we have to move through our day. And, and what if we could move through our day with this deep connection to Sangha, deep connection to our wish to grow, our deep connection to our heart center. So start to experiment with just the tiniest little lean to one side, taking your heart chakra with you and, and feeling it as you move. And then gently start to circle the weight around the hips, keeping your awareness on the heart. And notice your ability to do both. Notice your ability to be sincere in your practice, connected to your energetic body, but still moving. Moving through your karma, through your arena of life. And continue to breathe and see if as you make these gentle movements, if you can even expand the opening at the heart. It doesn't have to be only when you're still. And as you breathe and move, See if the sensations in the heart can start to overflow and fill your entire physical body 
like you lean and you create a little more space on that stretching side imagine the wish to grow and the sincerity of your practice expanding into that newfound space And gently reverse directions and experiment with the size of your heart chakra circles. Little bit of weight shifting on the hips. It's just a little circle of the heart. Bigger weight shift. What does that feel like? Now let's all allow the circles to get smaller and smaller. So the center of the heart chakra is barely moving, but the edges of the heart chakra can grow and expand beyond the size of your physical form. And then find that still point and just feel the very center of the heart and the very edges reaching out at the same time. And see if you can maintain this awareness of your energetic heart center, your physical form, and the space around you as we dive into our class together. Yatta tatcha tatan yatcha, the same on the outside as it is on the inside for the realized yogi. As we explore this sutra, as we finish exploring it here tonight, um, I wanted to focus on an aspect of our teachings that Rudy uh, often talked about. Swami Rujananda often said in his satsangs, from what I've heard, um, that Enlightenment is not a level, but learning how to raise your level, sort of a paraphrasing. It's not like a level, a certain finishing point, but it's a, a mechanism, a practice of constantly raising your level. In fact, I remember one satsang listening on the recordings where he was really adamant, like, I don't want a level. You know, I don't. Enlightenment's not just a place where I want to go sit and be forever. I want to grow. And in my opinion, uh, this sutra is telling us the very same thing in a slightly different voice. In the sutra, we see this next quote. Um, actually, I was wondering, uh, Jaya, would you mind reading this quote for us if you can? Oh, that is not the quote. <laughs> <laughs> that is Annapurna, but maybe, you know, one day she's going to be on this screen. Okay. All right, so this is the quote, Jaya. active for the whole of his life. This is a great task for such a yogi 
because for the remainder of his life, he has to remain absolutely active to realize the truth of reality again and again and again and again, so that in the end he becomes one with Shiva. Thanks, Jaya. So we see here that no matter how profound one's realization might be at any given point in our practice, we must keep practicing in order to have a realization over and over and over and over and then eventually so that in the end we can merge with Shiva. So this is very much the same teaching as Rudy's, I don't want a level, I want a practice, I want a mechanism, I want to grow. So we can infer from this very clearly that our work, our practice, is not about manifesting a certain reality or a particular meditation experience, but of creating a mechanism that grows endlessly through many different realities and experiences. Here's a quote from our teacher, Shambhavananda. And uh, let's see, who haven't? Hey, Morali, good to see you. Would you like to read this one for the group if it works out for you technologically? is enlightenment. The goal is realization. It is a process that lasts for our entire lives. It isn't something that we stop doing when we reach 65. We don't just stop. The practice goes on at every stage of life. The young, the middle-aged, and seniors all experience different kinds of challenges. When students apply what worked in their practice when they were 20, after they turn 60, it probably won't work. The practice <laughs> evolves as we use it over time. Even in the short time I was with Baba Muthananda, I saw changes in him as he approached the big conclusion of his life. So take a moment with that quote, everyone. You know, if you're a different learning style, feel free to read through it. And also, always feel free to raise your hand with a comment or a question. That's just assumed. But we see here, just glancing, we see here that this work is different than any other work that we do. You don't retire from this work. Uh, this is simply the work of being alive and, and reaching for your growth. You don't stop at 65. You don't ever really, quote unquote, stop. And at each stage of our development, the work changes. And it's really important that we stick with it so that we're not trying to apply something we did 20 years ago and then decide to do it again. I mean, even if you're just working out with weights or something, you know that like to start over is to like really start over and figure it all out because your body's totally different than it was the last time. Same with spiritual practice. So it, it evolves with us. 
And Babaji was saying that even with a practitioner like Baba Muktananda, who had achieved his realization under the, uh, um, under the supervision or under the guidance of his teacher, Nityananda, who was literally proclaimed by his teacher, this one has attained the goal, is what, it said, what he said. That individual still kept changing and still kept working and still kept rising to the very end. So this is a really unique concept that goes far beyond anything we could ever pre be presented with, you know, culturally or in, in a workplace environment. It's just something so unique and so different. And as we see a little bit further in the sutra, there's a word that gets associated with this work. Um, we talked a little bit about one word in this next quote I'm going to show, which was akritta the absolute sincerity or an unartificialness of growth that it has to be totally natural but deeply deeply like from the heart that's the only kind of work that really matters but we also see another word popping up in this quote cool and so for this one sunanda could you read that one for us i know it's not quite as long as the others Perfect. Uh, that reality is itself, where unartificial, universal independence will shine, should be sought with great reverence. Perfect. Thank you. So we worked a lot with this unartificial, you know, effort, but here we see should be sought with great reverence and um, I'd like to sort of open the door to that being like a focal point for us as we sort of bring this sutra to a close um, this concept of reverence I think that really points to the quality of where this kind of work the spiritual work comes from I mean ask yourself what does that word mean to you? It's going to mean something different to each of us. Sort of different to each of us. What, what makes you feel reverence? When do you tap into that quality of your work? When do you seek something with great reverence? You know, take a moment to reflect just internally. when you contemplate the very feeling of reverence how does it affect you energetically I think for a lot of us the experience of reverence is humbling quieting inward gazing in fact, if you, um, in the texts, in some of the more biographical texts of Nityananda and Muktananda, or specifically of Nityananda in this case, um, we see that when people uh, approached Nityananda, and this is a picture of him on the right with Muktananda at his feet, uh, the lineage, this is a, the root guru of our lineage, Nityananda, 
it, it is said that when the travelers would come to visit Nityananda, and there'd be about 2,000 of them a day, um, that they would find themselves without words in his presence. That they would be overtaken with reverence no matter what level of practitioner they were. And so we find that reverence is an aspect of our practice. It's sort of like what we bring to our practice, it's also how we seek, and it's also what we become. You could say that reverence is an emptying of our cup. When we bow with respect to the inner self, or even bow with respect to the inner self and each other, like namaste, we bow and we, we really do empty our cup. We empty something when we make that bow especially when you do like a full prostration to the deity or perhaps to the teacher and in special cases you're definitely emptying out there and so there's an emptying but why empty it's to be filled right to be refilled with something higher and so this uh, feeling of reverence to seek something with reverence is to seek something with surrender. We've seen this in the sutras before. There was a very clear way it was discussed uh, back, I think, really early in the first Upaya of the Shiva Sutras. Jaideva Singh has a little commentary that I've referred to many, many times since reading it. Um, and it's just that what is the purpose of all this work that we do in yoga? all the upayas, all the discipline that we undergo. Um, if I can't just make the thing happen, is what he's saying. And he goes, we work in order to prepare for the reception of grace. We empty our minds and we open, we just open our hearts. Like we don't make them into a certain shape. We just open our hearts, we empty our minds. And we try to sustain or even continue to open so as to receive when it occurs because it's always spontaneous and it always happens in a flash. Paul Reps had a really fun way of portraying this. Uh, and you maybe have seen this picture poem before. He said, let good fortune jump on you. And so Paul Reps is a Zen master, poet, calligrapher, dear friend of Shambhavananda, writer of Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. Let good fortune jump on you. And you can feel it in his picture poem. It's not just a text, it's an actual experience. So when this sutra tells us that the realized practitioner's life on the outside is the same as it is on the cushion or on the inside, so to speak, what that tells me 
is that that practitioner is not just preparing for the reception of grace for 30 minutes a day on their cushion. What makes their life what it is, is is that they're preparing for the reception of grace at every step of their way through their life. So like Rudy said, we're not trying to just attain a level in the morning when we sit. You know, the morning practice that we do is an experience. But it really just sets the stage for our work of the day. And I remember when I was living at Shoshone, and Swami Devananda once told me, you know, we work really hard during the day so that when we arrive on the cushion in the evening, we're ripe, we're ready, you know, to have that, to have that experience. And I remember being like, whoa, I never thought of it like that. I just thought I was putting in the time, you know. I'm, I sit every day, twice a day. But she was like, no, you work all day so that you have that opening, which is exactly what the sutra is telling us. You work to have the experience again and again and again so that in the end you merge with Shiva, whether that's at the end of your day or at the end of your life. So let's pause here for a moment. Take a few minutes to feel inside and then discuss. So as always, you're welcome to shuffle a little bit in your seat in order to prepare for stillness. And as you turn to your seat and to your breath, let your attention fall or rest on your exhale. Don't have to push it much, but just feel that emptying, that subtle little emptying of your cup, a little bit, and then see how that makes the way for the inhale to come in. Let yourself notice the exhale first, and then just let the inhale come in. As you continue with this simple practice, let it overtake more and more of your experience. Don't just release with your exhale, but feel that release across the shoulders and the back. Feel it in the heart. As you inhale, it doesn't just go in the lungs. Imagine being lifted up from all sides very gently.
let yourself meditate right now as preparation imagine that you were trying to prepare your whole being to receive something wonderful Imagine that any thought that floats up, any tension in the physical body, will merely become a deflector of this grace. And so let yourself just release it. Let yourself be in a state of pure receptivity Even the space behind you, imagine even the back being receptive. Let your attention feel the crown of the head as receptive. Feel tension releasing from shoulders, from chest and heart.
peel away another full body layer, find a new level of receptivity, not with doership, but with surrender. Peel it away. Let it peel off. And then breathe a little deeper. Let the eyes open if they aren't already. And just allow yourself to remain in that receptive state. as we did earlier, invite subtle movement into the spine, letting the heart gently lead the way. And then gently wobble. So that was just one way of approaching that letting good fortune jump on you. And of course, uh, take your time, but it'd be great to have some questions or comments on this work, but there's no rush. Anju, I see you're unmuted. Go for it. And if I don't see it, please just feel free to speak up. Sorry, yeah, my, my light burnt here. <laughs> A bit dark here today. Apologies, guys. Um, I just really appreciated working with that now and kind of that reminder that um, you, know, you, you sort of have to let reverence in. So that means that you're the only one stopping it from being there all of the time. You know, so it's like that reminder to kind of get out of the way because that's what it wants to do. It's there to come in and flow through us and the only reason it's not doing that is if we're, we're letting those veils kind of block that from coming in and that, you know, and just that consistency and bringing our true selves to our cushion every day is what allows that to just kind of keep flowing. And we don't have to like try externally so hard and just you just got to be open to that and, and get out of the way and let it flow. Yeah, I mean, I definitely am so grateful that it's like, I feel like I can do that at any point in my day. If I have the cue, I can get out of the way a little bit and might not ever always have the right answer. 
or a solution, but that I can do. <laughs> so I feel like that's a great focal point to work with. Thanks, Anju. Hey, Morale, all right. I had a question, maybe, um, maybe it's for you, Satyam. Um, and I feel like we've probably covered this in the last few classes, but I still think I'm not quite grasping fully, or, well, maybe I'll just ask your opinion. Why do you think in this sutra, and maybe it's, well, why would you say that they seem to always be describing the state of Shiva as independence rather than anything else that they might be able to use? It seems like they keep saying this word independence. Awesome question. Uh, so it's good questions really do inspire um, a lot. I can almost see like hands wanting to be like, I, I'd like to answer that. Feel free. If I don't have to be the one to answer this. If any of you are inspired, uh, feel free to jump in, including me. So, independence. Um, it's actually was originally in, in the sutras described as the this idea of spatantriya shakti. I think you might have seen that one where Shiva is the only thing in the entire universe that is not dependent upon other things to exist. So this, you know, so it means that like, if anything exists, it's because of Shiva, but the only thing that exists unto itself, like it's almost like the prime mover idea is Shiva. And so the only quality that can really define the difference between Shiva and everything else is that quality, that Shiva is not made from anything. Shiva does not depend on anything in that. I believe Baba G and our teachers, when they say happy for no reason, it feels like what they're saying or Baba G saying in, in that moment is like, we're used to being dependent upon something for our joy. And that that state is actually inside of us. It's not actually dependent upon anything. And so that these yogis, when they, when they merged with Shiva, before it even had a name, before it even had the word independence associated with it, I perhaps the experience was that of independence. It felt like I'm finally free of my dependency on so many things that I usually depend on for everything, you know? Um, and so perhaps that is like the source of it as an experience first and then a descriptor later so it's almost sort of like at least philosophically it's like uh, a comment on the nature of shiva and then that can be experienced in what you were just talking about like sort of like the ontological nature is that it's not dependent that it's the source of everything and then the experience is that it's not dependent on anything to to you know, for the joy or for other other qualities that one might experience in that state and also that the means to that state is surrender right it's the letting go of it's the releasing dependence upon so it's almost like the method of getting there is also that of 
letting go of dependence. Where we arrive is an experience of being independent, you know. So perhaps it's just like every every single descriptor around whether the work of getting there, the experience of being there, or the description of it in, through a physics kind of vibe, math vibe, all seem to point to that quality. And you're right. I, I always find that fascinating. Like, oh, never would have come up with that quality. Never would have come up with that word in a million years. But then you go, oh, well, there's a reason behind it. You know, nobody came up with it. It came to them. It, it appears. Fun question. I have a little more in store for us tonight, but I'm definitely open to stuff uh, for questions and comments. Dharma, go for it. Well, I was, um, maybe I have an association with reverence and, well, a few, a few things actually came up when I saw the reverence. One was that description that Rudy has in spiritual cannibalism. And he talks about, I am nothing and you are everything. Right. It's sort of like, it's almost like a, a a very specific request that is being made uh, in that that quote that I'm thinking of with Rudy, and I think he says uh, expect expect nothing but miracles or something like that in that particular quote, and that idea of reverence is like you said humility. I, I that resonated with me when you said a, a humbleness. And I have, again, this maybe association with reverence coming from my background growing up with the different religious tradition where I've heard, uh, here's my question, because I've heard Babaji speak about uh, purification process, purifying the mind. And maybe my background is understanding things from a, a dualism and, and this idea of uh, purity being something of uh, maybe sin or not sin or something like that. But recently when we were talking about rising up to Shiva, it's like you can't take the things here with you to go up. So I'm thinking of that purification process more of being uh, the ability to um, to over time, just like Babaji was talking about in the quote, it's like things evolve in our practice, in our definition maybe, and experience of surrender changes over time. So that this is a process also of purification when you talk about um, being open to the reception of grace is actually that purification process over time and that that is our practice. So maybe there's a question there. I'm not sure, just, just sort of, thinking out loud a little here. That it sounds to me like that our work, um, it's not like we can just be like, oh, now I'm, now I'm prepared for the reception of grace, but rather like the actual preparation is the practice. Our practice is the actual purification of preparing. It's like if grace descended upon me right now, I'm sure I would absorb it uh, much differently 
than I would in 10 years if, you know, from now, if my practice continues and in 10 years ago, I would absorb it much less, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that our work is literally um, this layer by layer, which reminds me of a Rudy quote as well, when he's like, layer by layer, layer by layer, layer by layer, layer by layer of practice. So that the purification process is essential and that we have to do it. I'm always sort of struck by in these classes how you can read the sutra and then you can sort of relate back to all these teachings that we're probably all more like familiar with, but it doesn't sound like they're the same thing. And then you sort of realize that it's all kind of the same thing and sort of connected in a way that, uh, so we're like almost like you're being taught the sutras in like a coded way or something uh, <laughs> until you actually learn the sutras. Wow. Yeah, I am so grateful um, for that exact experience myself because I read them once and I'm like, okay. And it's it just like, it doesn't, I don't, I'm like, there's, I know there's a lot more there. I just haven't unpacked it unfolded it you know and it just goes there literally is layer by layer at first it looks like this little obvious thing that doesn't have much to offer and then it's like you pull away a layer and it gets a little bit and it just keeps opening up yeah go for it Gita and Dion that um the conversation we're having right now reminds me of, I think it's called the tapas map that uh, starts with pure Shiva and then uh, it becomes more complicated and literally more, the words we've used in our uh, school would be more tensions as you drop down in the map uh, yeah. or the layers, the various layers. And so talking about peeling things away or building that mechanism to achieve, well, not, no, to realize pure consciousness. I mean, once you're at that stage, I'm guessing I'm not there. <laughs> uh, that is pure freedom, as you were talking about, because everything um, is a, a, a subset of Shiva. So once you have realized that, Basically, you are Shiva. Hmm. That's a real stretch for my mind, but I can see it when I look at that map. That map is a, a great teaching tool as far as I'm concerned. I agree. Yeah, I, there's a moment, I think it's in this sutra, and I think it's on the footnote of the word akrita, which is unartificial because he used Lakshmanju uses that moment to say it's not enough to say like i am shiva he's like you actually have to be shiva uh for that to actually be a true statement to to feel the power of it um satchitananda hmm. being consciousness and bliss being hmm. My mind, when you were talking about 
how when you learn how to have the mechanism it's almost like in the beginning you have a mechanism that can only burn certain things um for fuel to propel you towards shiva and then you don't have those things let's say your cushion during the day and a murti in front of you and then when you leave that room your your car sort of just putters out until you're back on the cushion and then it's dun, 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 dun. but eventually you acquire a mechanism that's so refined that it can actually literally you know draw from the sunlight you know draw from a situation at work draw from an ice cream sundae and it just keeps on until you have a mechanism like the siddha that is propelled um, endlessly. Um, and I, and I, what I loved about what you said was that that mechanism, it, when you can become propelled, that's the experience we're seeking. Not like it's a, a place this, you, that this thing stops, but like it's the actual propelling that seems to define independence, seems to define this quality, this state of being. How did we, how did time go by again? But Dialyn, it's here, Dialyn. Man, how? Go for it. Well, I like how that ended, but so <laughs> um, for some reason, the, uh, what's come up for me um, is, and it's kind of bridges from last time, but uh, the like the uh, akuta, the authenticity of, and you we were kind of about the wish to grow. And then also reverence is something that also has to be authentic. Um, and it's, for some reason, something that's come up for me here is that uh, it's like, sometimes we talk about how we kind of try with our will to get somewhere in our practice. Um, and yet to actually make it authentic, there's this letting go that has to happen. This uh, wish, the real wish to grow, not trying to make that happen. Um, and sometimes it's about like the way that you lead into it. Like in this class, we like lead into it with different the sutras are always helpful for me to lead into that. You know, I can read the Shiva sutras and it kind of gets me in that mode of like, oh yeah, inspires me, I guess. Because um, sometimes you're reaching for it and it's like a little bit hard or dry or you're like wondering why, what you're like looking for that thing. I think Annapurna kind of illustrated it, but it's like, Wait, so I'm like looking for this thing and like, what is it? How do I find it? Um, and then it's like, it's not like you try, have to try harder, but you somehow find the way in. And sometimes it's just about the approach, like a certain quote, like that might resonate with somebody like this reps quote might help somebody or something. And it's, it's really cool. It's anyhow, it's really, something that I appreciate about this class too, because we just like kind of work our way into a state through kind of different sutras and different quotes and thinking about it. And I guess that's what the jnana yoga is all about is like using your mind and the sutras and, and kind of like finding the way in. <clears throat> so I don't know, that kind of came up for me, but. Thank you. Sort of feeling with that before we finish class.
Yeah, it's like even just listening to you talk or just uh, feeling with what you said, it feels like when learning to use our minds in this class effectively sort of means like being able to uh, keep your, you know, the classic Shambhava mudra, Shambhavi mudra, attention within, awareness without. But it, it's, it's, it's almost like that's the stretch, maintaining that inner awareness and allowing these certain paths to sort of work on you or stretch you almost like a posture in yoga. And I feel like that's what we're learning to do in here, you know, is to like stay connected in our hearts and use the pathways that are built, you know, through through our mind, but not to become the mind, but rather just to use the mind, like you said, as a, as a way in, to use it skillfully. Just like in yoga, you use your body as a way in. In pranayama, you use your breath as a way in. These are all, these are all ways in if you're using them correctly, but they could also always all be ways out, <laughs> you know, if not used in that manner. And I think this is, for me, this is rare because we're just not used to ever using our mind as a way in. Uh, it does, it feel, it seems to be rare, no, uh, for me. And it's like, great. I'm grateful, like you said, that we have it. We're sort of learning the practice of Gyana yoga together. Seems like a nice ending. <laughs> so hey, thanks everyone for staying a few minutes late. It's really nice of you. I appreciate it. Um, see you again for next week. Um, namaste. We've got another study buddy next week. Uh, so that's three in a row. Been pretty cool together. So I look forward to seeing your Marco Polos um, and see you again next week.